And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Without semiconductors, your smartphone would not be a smartphone. It would be a paperweight that occupies a big space in your pocket. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America. Head over to blazetv.com slash to help us push back against the rapid, unscheduled disassembly of America. Use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now, subscribe to the channel, and hit the bell for notifications. We appreciate it. Jennifer Say is going to be here in a little bit to talk about the very real go woke, go broke phenomenon. There's been a huge update in the Hunter Biden saga as the IRS whistleblower finally has addressed the public. But we start by doing the DeSantis strategy. And I'll be honest with you, to start off the show, I had a dentist appointment today. I'm a little loopy from the nitrous. I, I, maybe my mouth is half numb. I don't know how this is going to go at all today, but we're going to give it a whirl and talk about Ron DeSantis and his launch. And I don't know. We saw how Twitter launched yesterday. It was a little bumpy, a little bumpy. At least Ron DeSantis didn't have a dentist appointment right before the announcement. That's important to see. Now, did the tech problems really make a big difference? If you missed it, the Twitter Spaces thing they launched crashed. I have a friend who's in the tech industry, and when he, we were going back and forth about Um, Twitter and the announcement of DeSantis, and he told me in advance that the Twitter spaces was definitely going to crash. Uh, Apparently, it's not exactly the most uh, stable uh, of platforms, but that's not Ron DeSantis' fault. He's not, he doesn't, he doesn't own Twitter. He doesn't create Twitter. They eventually got it off the board. It made a lot of noise, and that is really what you do with the launch of a campaign. If the campaign is successful, no one is going to remember that it launched this way. We've seen things like this before in the past. I mean, you know, one of the biggest stories in America for, I don't know, a year was the fact that they couldn't get the Obamacare website working. Well, you know, they got the Obamacare website working eventually, and now we just funnel hundreds of millions of dollars to Obamacare. No one seems to mind anymore. Even red states are passing bills embracing Obamacare these days. So who cares about the launch and the fact that they couldn't get the website up? really didn't stick around forever. And if the campaign bombs, then everyone will say, see, I told you so. I was watching and they couldn't even get their campaign announcement up on Twitter spaces. Really, like the beginning, the launch of a campaign is not the story of a campaign. Nobody is making their decision based on this. It's just not how it works. In fact, I'll give you a very uh, key uh, example of this. You know who had an incredibly good campaign rollout? One of the best campaign rollouts over the past 10 years, Kamala Harris. Her campaign rollout was amazing. She had an incredible crowd. The speech went really well. It was universally praised. And then her campaign completely tanked after that. It's just not material to how this thing turns out. Plus, it would be nice if occasionally people in this country actually looked at what the people were saying when they run for president rather than the appearance and the rollout and the optics. But this is the country we live in. Of course, the media is uh, really has completely turned on Elon Musk at this point. With DeSantis' event, Twitter solidifies its place in the conservative media world. Again, this is a guy who runs the largest electric car company in the world. He is a global warming alarmist to a level that would make, you know, Bernie Sanders squeamish and yet... He's apparently right wing now. He doesn't even consider himself to be right wing, but 
we just all have to call him right wing now, because he had a mainstream Republican candidate on his platform. I mean, if you remember, you know, just a few years ago, conservatives were pissed off because they couldn't even get on Twitter. They're getting kicked off all the time. That was when Twitter was okay. Now that Twitter is not kicking conservatives off and God forbid actually promoting some of their speeches as they run for president. Of course, it's also open to all the Democrats, which I assume they probably will take uh, advantage of as well with the, maybe not Biden, but I bet, you know, I bet you RFK uh, Jr. is going to be on there uh, talking on Twitter to make sure his message gets out. It's open to everybody and who knows, maybe they won't do it. Now, Donald Trump uh, was... And, and look, when you're running against someone, obviously he sees DeSantis as his big competition. His job is pretty much to make fun of DeSantis in this moment. The Twitter thing didn't work out, and uh, this is, of course, going to be his job. And he came out with some interesting uh, truths over on the Truth Social, which, by the way, I don't, I mean, Truth Social, I don't think has ever had any, certainly never had an event as big as that one. But do they even have audio streaming on Truth Social? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but he says, wow, the DeSanctis Twitter launch is a disaster. His whole campaign will be a disaster. Watch. This is a separate question. I would love for you, if you're on YouTube, to maybe drop the answer to this in the uh, in the comments below, but like I understand the 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 Ron DeSanctimonious thing, right? Like this is what Trump does. He names people like he's saying Ron DeSantis is is sanctimonious. Okay, that's a criticism of you know and he jammed it into a, a nickname. I kind of get that approach. What's the DeSanctis thing? Do, does anyone know? I, I don't understand. Again, I maybe I'm missing this stuff. I, I haven't been in the ins and outs of uh, Truth Social, maybe it's big on Truth Social, whatever. Well, what does the DeSanctis thing mean? Um, if anyone knows, I would love, is it just, I mean, it might just be, hey, this guy's such a nothing to me, I'm going to mispronounce his name uh, or misspell his name, which could be, although he is tweeting about him a lot if he's calling him a nothing. He also went on to say, uh, Rob, again, here's another one, I have a question. Why Rob? Again, is it the same thing? He's just saying, oh, I don't even, this guy's such a nothing, he, I'm, not, I'm not even going to write his name correctly. And that's, that could be funny. We've done it to people before. I mean, it's a fun tactic, but I just, if that's it, I just missed, missed the origins of it. Rob, my red button is bigger, better, stronger, and is working, parentheses, truth, exclamation point, comma. Yours does not, exclamation point. Parentheses, per my conversation with Kim Jong-un, comma, of North Korea, comma, soon to be my friend, exclamation point, close parentheses, period. Uh, I don't understand that one, really. Um... I, get, I mean, the red button thing, he's explaining that the Kim Jong-un conversation was the origins of the red button thing, but I don't know. Most people would not brag about being friends with Kim Jong-un, but, I, you know, I kind of, you can make an argument when you're in office, you want to say, hey, Kim Jong-un, maybe he's saying he's going to get back in office soon, and so he's going to have to be friends with Kim Jong-un again. I don't know. Kim Jong-un, Dennis Rodman liked him. Maybe he's fun to hang out with. I don't like his policies all that much, but who knows? Maybe he's a blast behind the scenes. Uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, by the way, on his, for his part, this is really what these launches are about, right? Raise a bunch of money. Get a little bit of excitement going, but, you know, that doesn't even matter all that much. It's just about the money. And, of course, DeSantis did raise a bunch of money, uh, $1 million in an hour after the White House launch, says their spokesperson, which we won't be able to you know, fact check that for a while. But usually these people will leak out their actual fundraising, especially when they're proud of it. And a million dollars an hour is a pretty good number for a campaign launch. I thought it would be uh, kind of worth going through. You know, the Twitter thing, there's some stuff there that was interesting. I honestly thought the interview that we did on radio today was better. Now I am biased. 
you know, no offense, Elon, David Sachs, we like both of you. But, uh, you know, I think the, the, we got some interesting stuff out of him on radio, Ron DeSantis. I want to go through some of that as well. Um, let me just give you this, because there was a traditional launch of the campaign as well. You, know, you make these sort of shiny campaign videos, you roll them out. And that was kind of something else that Ron DeSantis did on top of the Twitter thing. So we kind of did both. He went with the the sort of different approach and the traditional approach. Here is Ron DeSantis and his rollout video. Our border is a disaster. Crime infests our cities. The federal government makes it harder for families to make ends meet, and the president flounders. But decline is a choice. Success is attainable, and freedom is worth fighting for. Riding the ship requires restoring sanity to our society normalcy to our communities and integrity to our institutions. Truth must be our foundation and common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. In Florida, we prove that it can be done. We chose facts over fear, education over indoctrination, law and order over rioting and disorder. We held the line when freedom hung in the balance. We showed that we can and must revitalize America. We need the courage to lead and the strength to win. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I'm running for president to lead our great American comeback. There you go, Ron DeSantis officially running for president. And, you know, hit all the notes there, I think. Uh, a decent uh, campaign launch video. Let's look at the strategy, though. That's what I think is important here, because... Fundamentally, Ron DeSantis has a good argument to be in the conversation to be the next president of the United States. His record is stellar in Florida, and he just won an election in what used to be a purple state by 20 points. He has a real argument here to be part of the package. Now, of course, he also is the underdog coming into this. We went into this yesterday, and, and Ron DeSantis is quite clearly the main challenger to Donald Trump, but Donald Trump is a former president of the United States with an incredibly loyal group of followers. You know, if he, what is he at, 35% minimum in these states? So how do you beat that? Well, I mean, obviously you need to get to 36 at the very least. And when there's 20 candidates in the race, that might be a little difficult. This is not going to be easy for Ron DeSantis. And I know he knows that uh, going in. This is not, you know, Donald Trump is formidable in a Republican primary, and he's going to be very difficult to beat. So one of the things that's interesting about this is to see how Ron DeSantis walks a very interesting line that most people have failed attempting to walk. The walk here that he has to somehow execute is to be able to talk to voters in the Republican Party who like Donald Trump, who think Donald Trump's presidency, generally speaking, was pretty good. They, generally speaking, pretty much like Donald Trump. They, generally speaking, agree with Donald Trump, that Donald Trump has been treated unfairly by the media, that maybe they even think the election was stolen in 2020. He didn't even fairly lose that election in 2020. How do you make the separation between yourself and Donald Trump? To put it plainly, hey, how do you talk to a person who says, look, I like Donald Trump. I'd be really happy. If he wins the nomination, I'm going to be thrilled to, to vote for the guy in, in 2024. Why should I choose you over him? That's the question he fundamentally needs to answer. And you're seeing shades of why and how he's going to do this in his rollout interviews. He's 
done a few of them already. One of them was on this very network, Blaze TV. You can watch the radio show with myself and Glenn Beck on every morning. If you'd like to do that, we always would love to have you there. Um, it's also one hour of it is available on YouTube. And that was the hour, by the way, uh, that this interview um, aired. So if you want to go back and watch the Ron DeSantis interview, you can. Um, so let's look at some of the places he's going to try to draw a division between himself and Donald Trump. One of those things is the economy. And Glenn asked him a really interesting question, which was, look, people love what Donald Trump did with the economy. What are you going to do that's going to be any different? Watch. How do you change the economy? Well, look, I would I would just say push back a little bit. I mean, I think he did great for three years, but when he turned the country over to Fauci in March of 2020, that destroyed millions of people's lives. And in Florida, we were one of the few that stood up cut against the grain, took incoming fire from media, bureaucracy, the left, even a lot of Republicans, had schools open, preserved businesses. And so Florida, since COVID, has outperformed virtually any state in the country when you look at all these significant metrics. I mean, we're booming. We've got people moving in here. Uh, wealth is coming in here. And so I think when people look back, you know, that 2020 year uh, was not a good year for the country as a whole. Uh, it was a, a situation where Florida st started to stand alone. So I think that that's important contrast now. Yeah, I mean, and it is something I think that will connect pretty well with the American people. You know, DeSantis is pretty good at pointing this stuff out. I think that's the type of approach that will make sense to a Republican voter who does not despise Donald Trump. You, know, you can go to all these people who, who are, you know, who have, will never, ever vote for Donald Trump under any circumstances, and you can win some of those people over, but those people will not be enough to win this primary. You have to win over people who actually like Donald Trump, who would be happy with him as president of the United States again, but they're looking for something better or at least something different. His point there being that, you know, look, Donald Trump was pretty good with the economy for three years, but we can't ignore the fact that he blew it in 2020. And I think a lot of people, especially in hindsight, really connect with that argument. Uh, next up is uh, the FBI and the way that these institutions have been used. You know, Trump obviously talked a lot about the dangers of these institutions, how he was being spied on and all these other things. A lot of people in the Republican primary agree with Donald Trump that he was treated unfairly there. How would Ron DeSantis deal with these institutions? And this is part of his fundamental argument for running for president. Uh, as opposed to Donald Trump. And that argument is based on competence. Listen. Day one. First of all, I already, already said new FBI director day one. That is a no-brainer. You've got to do that. I'll have an attorney general that has a backbone, uh, an attorney general that recognizes if you are doing your job properly, you are going to be pilloried by the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN. And so if that's not something that you're, you're comfortable with, then don't even apply for this job. Understand you're going into the lion's den. These people do not want to give up this power willingly. And so they're going to smear you. They're going to attack you. So I think getting the personnel right, uh, if you can't do that, then it's just not going to work at all. Again, that sounds like an argument against the FBI or some of these institutions. It's not. It's an argument about competence. And it's an argument about Donald Trump specifically. We were going to have a new FBI director day one. Well, that's Christopher Wray. That person was appointed by Donald Trump. Uh, your attorney general. Well, 
Donald Trump turned on his attorney general and said he was weak and didn't do the things he wanted him to do. And he ends it with, I think, getting the personnel right. Well, famously, Donald Trump, of course, argued he could hire the best people and then blew through a zillion people on all these really important positions. That's no mistake. DeSantis is making those arguments intentionally to kind of make you think about, hey, wait a minute, maybe he wasn't that good at doing those things. He talked a good game there, but did he actually get it done? Um, He also uh, talked about using the power of the administrative uh, state himself. Now, this is an interesting one because DeSantis, this goes against some of the, maybe the old school DeSantis uh, speeches that he, you go back to the Tea Party era, he, was, he didn't talk about necessarily the stuff the same way. Um, but look, it's a new era, and Donald Trump famously wanted to go out there and use uh, his power often in the federal, uh, federal government. Um, What's again, what, what, what come, you'll hear here is the same thing, an argument about competence. Donald Trump talked a lot about doing these things, but he doesn't he was never and you know, he was never a guy who knew every inch of the Constitution the way that DeSantis is saying that he does. Listen to his argument here. Second thing, I think, is you've got to be willing to use Article II authority to its fullest extent. The idea that some FBI agent can collude with a tech company to censor like Hunter Biden, you should be firing these people. You have the authority to do it. Yes, it'll be contested. They'll sue you. Uh, but who gets the, the Article II power? The person that wins the Electoral College or some middle managing bureaucrat um, in the IRS or, or the FBI? So as Asserting that authority, uh, making sure that you have political control over those agencies, that is a huge battle. Uh, it's something you've got to be disciplined about. It's something you've got to be strategic about. Uh, but I th- and it's not something that anyone's really tried to do because, you know, it, these are tough fights. I mean, right. it's like trench warfare, and you've got to be ready on day one. And we will, and incidentally, Who's the attorney general? Very important, but it's also important who's in, you know, a step or two below that across all these agencies. And I think you need to have thousands of people ready to go. Um, I'm going to try to rush through these because I am running a little bit late. Another part of this is the uh, example of federal spending. Look, Trump didn't run on, on cutting spending, really. I mean, that wasn't really ever a priority of his. It has been a priority of conservatives for a long time, and there's certainly a contrast to be drawn there. They are trying to price middle-class people out of having a middle-class standard of living. We're not going to force people to buy electric vehicles. Uh, we're going to make sure that people have a choice to have affordable transportation. Uh, we absolutely reduce uh, federal spending. We're going to fight with the Congress on that. I mean, I think the debt has gone up under both Republican and Democrat. I mean, we act like it's just Biden, you know, went up $8 trillion, the debt under Trump as well. And so we've got to stop doing that. That has absolutely driven the inflation since March of 2020 with all the borrowing and spending. I mean, and I think every every conservative generally at least agrees with that uh, tone. Um, we want to cut spending, and we know that inflation was a result of all of that spending. It did go up a lot under Trump. Part of that was the COVID stuff, which you know is, is a little bit you know out of the ordinary. But it wasn't all that. I mean, and Trump was never a guy who ran on fiscal responsibility in that way. That wasn't what he's doing. And his attacks on DeSantis have been stuff like, "Hey, he might cut these giant programs, and I'm not going to do that." That's just to be fair to Trump. That's you know. He's outwardly said that stuff. Um, this is another one, which is an interesting subplot here. It's a little uh, subplot of, of all of these arguments on policy. He's saying here that DeSantis is saying this is a big job. And, you know, it's, it's a job that you really can't get done in four years, which is all Donald Trump would have left. Watch. 
And the reason that we're here is because uh, we have these agencies that have been detached from constitutional accountability. There was never supposed to be a fourth branch of government, but Congress has not held them accountable with the power of the purse or with legislating more precisely. And presidents have not been willing to wield Article II power to discipline the bureaucracy. So I think I'll come in and on day one, we'll be spitting nails. I understand and all your listeners should understand that if we do everything right, if we're disciplined, if we're strong as anyone could be, it still takes a two-term project. I think it takes eight years to be able to reconstitutionalize this government. But the question it raises is, do we govern ourselves or do we not? Because right now, the most significant issues tend not to be resolved by our elected representatives. They're done by these bureaucrats and through these agencies. And so it's really I think, a crisis of self-government. Now, what you have with uh, lack of accountability, you just have a consolidated, uh, consolidation of power amongst people that all have the same worldview. And so their worldview is different than our worldview, and they view people like us as, as factions that they want to exert power over. And so the weaponization, I think, flows from, from human nature. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more on the DeSantis strategy here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, fundamentally, like, you're going to be the ones who decide who is, gets the Republican nomination. People are going to do that. No no television host gets that. Their candidates don't even get to do that. That's something you get to choose. I'm not your dad. I'm not your mom. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. You figure it out yourself. Whoever, Whatever you think is the priority here. Uh, that's It's not important what, what we think here at The Blaze. It's What's important is what the people think. And that's going to be a really interesting conversation here over the next, what, gosh, seven, eight, nine, ten months. Holy crap, that seems like a long time as I say it out loud. Uh, but it's true. It's on the way. We've got a very interesting thing. And I think we've got an interesting contrast here between these two top candidates. This isn't a boring, okay, you've got two of the same people. You've got an interesting contrast, and you've got some other people below that that are doing something totally different as well. So it's going to be an interesting time. We will continue to watch it for you and, of course, uh, give you all the updates more on the, uh, on the DeSantis strategy uh, coming up in a little bit. And Jennifer Say joins us next. Did you know that, the, that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? Man, I know that's true with me. It, when I go on the road and I, like if you're on the, in a hotel and you have the wrong sheets or, you know, the, the wrong blankets and it's too hot in the room or the air conditioning won't turn on, it drives me crazy and I can't sleep. If you wake up too hot or too cold, you got to try Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding that you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat, which is revolting to think about. Uh, don't think about it until you get your Miracle Made sh sheets. That's what I would recommend. Miracle Made offers a sh whole line of self-cleaning, bacteria-preventing bedding. Just go to trymiracle.com slash stew. Trymiracle.com slash stew. You can try Miracle Made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a great gift for a loved one, you can order today and get over 40% off. And if you use my promo code stew at checkout, you'll get three free towels as well. Uh, save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash stew. Use the code stew. Claim your free three-piece towel set now. Get to over 40% off. Trymiracle.com slash stew to treat yourself with Miracle Made bedsheets. 
I'm happy to welcome Jennifer Say back to the program. She is the former Levi's Global Brand President and author of Levi's Unbuttoned. And she has a new article in the Washington Examiner that I think you're really going to like. It's called When Great American Brands Sabotage Their Own Success. You can find a link to it on uh, Twitter. Jennifer, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me back, Stu. Yeah, nice to see you. I appreciate it. Um, for people who don't know your story already, can you kind of give people a little bit of a download uh, uh, you know, of your, of your history and how you got to the yeah. point where you're talking about these types of things? Yeah, absolutely. I started at Levi's in 1999. I worked there close to 23 years. I started entry-level marketing assistant, worked my way up to chief marketing officer, held that role for eight years, became the brand president in 2020 and was next in line for CEO. But I was outspoken about the harms from public school closures during COVID. And after two years of my advocacy on that issue, I was told uh, that there was no longer a place for me at the company, that my views were not aligned with the companies and that I needed to leave. And I was offered severance and I did not take it because I didn't want to sign a non-disclosure agreement uh, because I wanted to be able to tell the story in my book, Levi's Unbuttoned, and by talking to you because the censorship and viewpoint discrimination was so alarming during that time period that I felt it was too important to take hush money and shut myself up. <laughs> and of course, it's got to be tempting when you have multiple commas in your hush money. It's, it's usually pretty uh, tempting. But you decided you wanted to tell the, the truth about this. And I'm, I'm certainly very glad that you did. Um, you know, it's I think we're having sort of renewed relevance of this story here in the last uh, couple weeks. Yeah. But, you know, looking at this back to your story here at Levi's for just a quick <laughs> second. It's got to be so frustrating because it wasn't like you took a stance that was super controversial, uh, or at least wound up being super controversial, right? This is not something that everybody accepts what you were talking about is the absolute truth now. Now, now and, and, now. and you had, why did you have to go through all of this? Well, I didn't. It's ridiculous. And, you know, ultimately I was punished for what were perceived as political views. Unfortunately, as you are all too aware, COVID policies became political. And, you know, to my, from my perspective, they shouldn't have been. Children should not be politicized. Uh, and, and children were being harmed. And that's all been made very clear. And, you know, a report came out this morning that in the places where schools were closed the longest, children were harmed the most. That's the key factor. That's the driver. That's what I said would happen all along. Uh, but it became political. And in a city like San Francisco, which, as you're aware, is very, very left leaning and in a company that espouses those same values. And I should be clear. <laughs> I was of the left. I mean, those were my values and my views. And because I took a different stance that was informed by data and reality, let's face it, that closed schools would be harmful to a generation of children, I was no longer welcome in the city and the company and the party because I spoke common sense. And, you know, the woke view became COVID lockdown forever. And it was ridiculous. And I could see that it was ridiculous. And um, I, I thought it was too important. I thought the kids were too important. Um, and of course, as I went through it, the censorship and the liberalism and the, you know, banishing of anyone with an opposing viewpoint or who even asked a question, that became exposing that and talking about that became my priority because we can't we don't live in a democracy if you can't talk about the issues of the day. Yeah. We, we don't. It's, it's very, very true. We have to have that openness. And, and look, that used, that used to be what made life interesting, frankly, that you talk to people with different well, opinions. I, I still find that's what makes 
life interesting. And I find it makes me more empathetic. And, you know, I may not change my mind, but it strengthens my argument. And sometimes I do change my mind. You know, if you retain an open mind, you might, in fact, change your mind. And it's just alarming. It used to be you could be in a political party and hold some views that were different from that party. Now it's completely a litmus test that you uphold every tenet of the left's policy or you're a bigot and a racist and you need to be shunned, fired and ousted. I mean, that's basically, you know, what happens. And so the book is very much about my experience at Levi's in those last two years and even even before that. Um, But I I sort of uh, call out this idea of woke capitalism and analyze that beyond covid and basically call for a return to normie capitalism. I said these woke (laughs) policies that companies are taking are going to come back and bite them. Consumers don't want politics with their product. They just want to be able to go to the store, Target, for instance, (laughs) and buy diapers and onesies and bathing suits without having a set of values shoved down their throats and being made to, you know, being told they should feel bad and be shamed for not sharing those values. And I would just say this, you know, this is a cynical take and it's ultimately completely true. And I say this from having been in the boardroom, the companies that take these very left leaning stances, they do it. It's opportunistic. They believe that if they say, hey, you, we align with your values, you're going to like us more and you're going to buy more stuff. So when consumers reject that, they are well within their rights to do so. It's not canceling. It's saying, well, I don't align with that set of values, so I'm going to buy beer or onesies somewhere else. And and that's what we're seeing happening. So everything I predicted um, in my book, which just came out a few months ago, about businesses needing to get back to business, normie capitalism, it's all sort of playing itself out right now with Target and Bud Light and all the rest of it. It's so true. I love the term normie capitalism. I would love that. I would love to go back to the days where they just wanted to sell me stuff all the time. Please bring in those days back. And I will say this um, to your to your point. There is a uh, it's not completely dead. Like the conversation isn't completely dead. I, I mean, I am encouraged of the fact that really it's not just a conservative idea. It's not just your idea that that schools were were a real problem with the close downs. We had another study that came out this week saying there was yeah. massive damage done that eventually America got there. And I think, you know, you're not getting no one's getting fired anymore, I think, for making that point. That's good. But you're already on the wrong side of that. And that's got to be really frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I think there's acknowledgement to your point that these policies were harmful. I think enough acknowledgement that potentially we won't try school closures again, although there are still some places around the country that close schools if there's a few cases that still require masks, et cetera. But I think there's enough widespread acknowledgement that that was an unsuccessful um, gambit, right? But there's no accountability. We knew better. The data was available, and yet public health officials and government leaders like Gavin Newsom in California persisted in keeping the schools closed for 18 months while, by the way, he sent his own children to in-person private school. There's no accountability for those folks. And from my perspective, you know, I'm still being held accountable. I'm still unemployed because I took a position which ultimately ended up being right. Why are the people not being held accountable that took a position and they should have knew better that ended up being totally wrong and catastrophic. And and so I just keep speaking about it because I don't feel safe and I don't trust that it won't happen again unless those people are removed from power.
Mm. Um, you talk about in your in your piece for the Washington Examiner, uh, wokeness as you define it, preening altruism and cultural conformity, which is a great phrasing of it. But I want to read this because this is from your experience at, at Levi's, which is just amazing. And it, it shows like, what a weird world people are living in right now. You say, I know uh, from this from firsthand employee, employees on my team, designers too afraid to speak for fear of retribution for using the unacceptable term guys when addressing their peers or letting lame slip out to describe a graphic t-shirt design, thus being accused of ableism. The silent obedience leaves the door open for misguided, self-appointed gurus to make any and all decisions unchallenged. I suspect this is exactly what happened with Alyssa uh, Heinerscheld over at uh, Bud Light when she hired transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. The silence is what doesn't alert people to say, hey, wait a minute, this might be a, a catastrophic decision. Can you talk a little about the, the, silence obe- uh, 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 the silent obedience and how that plays out? Yeah, the the situation I was referring to in the pieces, you know, we had in my last few years, you know, multiple DEI trainings and, you know, many folks on my team came to me and they said, these are senior people, very capable, very successful. They said they felt afraid. They felt afraid to speak in meetings, not just about the content, but that they just might let some word slip that was no longer acceptable, that, you know, was just decided yesterday that it wasn't acceptable and who can keep up anymore. And, you know, the point I'm making there is, I guess, twofold. One, all of this non-business related activity takes time away from the necessary business activity, right? So that's a bandwidth issue. You're not focused on the stuff that drives the business. But secondly, you're creating this culture of fear and conformity. And that is not um, something that begets creativity, innovation. It really is, in my mind, a death knell for American businesses because you have these teams who won't challenge. They won't say, hey, maybe that's not a good idea because they're afraid of being called a racist or a transphobe or an ableist or an ageist. They're, They're terrified. And so I think it's just really, and the the point of the piece was to use Levi as an example, but to go beyond that to say, American business is in trouble if we don't get back to normie capitalism, if we don't get back to business, if we don't unwoke it, whatever you wanna call it, but we need to focus on delivering great products, inspiring marketing and treating employees well, that's it. That seems like a really easy solution, but it seems very difficult for these companies to do. I would love to have you back on, Jennifer, to talk about the solutions and how we can get past this. But it just because it does not seem like these companies are waking up. Maybe these big examples like Bud Light, like Target, are the type of examples that will turn this around. Uh, Jennifer, one of the most important voices, I think, out there on this topic. Jennifer Say, be sure not to miss her article for the Washington Examiner, When Great American Brands Sabotage Their Own Success, and her book as well, Substack as well. Make sure to check it all out because it really is important. Thank you so much for all the hard work you're doing and the sacrifices you've made for this, Jennifer. Appreciate it. Thank you, Stu. Have a great evening. You know, thousands and thousands of people have moved from places like California, New York, and Illinois to places like Texas and Florida and, you know, uh, I mean, for a long time, Arizona. I don't know. I have some friends who live out in Arizona are saying that might be turning around a little bit. But my point being uh, that when you're moving across the country, you don't know who the best real estate agent in an area is. When you go to make this big financial transaction, maybe you're even buying a house sight unseen, which happens all the time now. When you're doing that, you need to make sure you have the best agent in your area. And I would recommend realestateagentsitrust.com to find that person. They work with only the best agents in every market. They do their homework. They make sure that you're getting the best and you deserve the best, frankly. Make sure you get it. 
realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person, realestateagentsitrust.com. We covered a lot on the DeSantis strategy earlier in the show, and one of the things we didn't get to is maybe one of the clearest things he's going to attempt to do. We talked about it a little bit when, when, with the economy, but the big line is, hey, guys, remember Trump during uh, COVID? Uh, we don't think he handled that all that well. We think we did that better. That's what DeSantis is arguing. And it, it, he's been subtle on a lot of these points, not so subtle today when he released this video. We did the right thing. We closed the country down. Could have kept it open. And I could have done what some countries are doing. I had to shut it down. We did the right thing. I thought of keeping it open. And we did just the right thing. We closed it down. And a group of very smart people walk in and say, sir, we have to close it. And we did the right thing. They can't do anything without the approval of the president of the United States. Even the Democrats aren't blaming me for that. We had to close it up. Some people wish we never closed it down. We did the right thing. We closed it. It's a decision for the president of the United States. So we did the right thing. We had to close it up because nobody's ever heard of closing down a country, let alone the United States of America. We had to turn off the airlines. We had to turn off everything. And we did the right thing. A lot of people have thought about it. Write it out. Don't do anything. Just write it out and think of it as the flu. But it's not the flu. It's vicious. We basically shut down our country. No, we did the right thing. We had to close it down. The president of the United States calls the shots and we had to close it down we did the right thing they're not working in offices they're not in airplanes together and we did close up we had to close it up and we did the right thing we closed it down we did the right thing we closed it up we were told to got to shut it down stop it tell everyone to stay home because of this horrible virus and we did that we had to artificially close our country we've done this right and we we really we really have done this right that we did the right everything we did was right now i don't know if he's closed it down or closed it up he did one of the two but uh this is going to be the the biggest hit point i think on trump that's going to be probably pretty successful with the republican electorate i mean you know at the time uh, the Republicans gave him a big break on that. And they said, hey, you know what? Yeah, you did that. Yeah, you kept Fauci in there for a very long time. Yes, you did a lot of those things, but we, we forgive you for it. And of course, there wasn't really a primary on the Republican side. There was no one to really question it. And I don't know, the history hadn't been written yet. Now we're past this. We're to a point where, I mean, to a man, conservatives, generally speaking, look back at 2020 and say, the shutdowns lasted too long. There was too many restrictions. There's obviously a lot of people who have issues with the vaccine rollout, which is another thing that, you know, DeSantis didn't mention yesterday. It'd be kind of weird for him to do it as he was pro-vaccine as well. But still, they're going to go back and forth on that one, too. The bottom line at the end of the day is uh, this is going to be the central attack, I think, from Ron DeSantis and many other candidates on Donald Trump. Uh, Trump will say, you know, I did the right thing. I don't, he's not the type that's going to back down. I think he's going to continue to say he did the right thing. We will see how that works, and we'll see if DeSantis can execute that strategy because uh, it's, it's an important time, and whoever takes over this nomination and goes up against Joe Biden has to actually win. We should point out, if you go to studosmerch.com, you can pick up the shirt, anyone but Joe Biden in 2024. I think you'll like that one a lot. Go check it out. Stu10 is the code if you want to save 10%. Back in a second.
big tech and big data have shown us time after time they're not on our side. And, you know, we're giving them our access to our personal lives. They're always in our accounts and everything else. Uh, and, of course, they're also going through our phones. Even when your phone is off, the microphones and cameras and location trackers uh, still work. I have my uh, refuge right here. This is the... Uh RefugePrivacy.com. The promo code is Stu, and it's it's this cool looking, nice you know, nice looking leather. Uh, I don't know what you call it, a little pouch. You stick your phone in there, and it's got a Faraday sleeve uh, that blocks signal and sound. They added the so sound blocking uh, panels, and uh, that keeps conversations private. And how do you use that? Well, you know, I was talking to Yaku Boyens uh, the other day, and he was saying he's got one of these things. And, you know, when you're doing like a high-level meeting with someone, and maybe you don't want them recording it, maybe you're worried about someone recording it. Do you have employees who you maybe you're having uh, conversations with that you don't want them recorded uh, for outside use? Have them come into the meeting room, get a couple of these things, pop the phone right in there. You're going to protect from the sound. You're going to protect from all the digital snooping, all of that. RefugePrivacy.com. Use the code STU. Save 10% off your order. RefugePrivacy.com. The promo code is STU for 10% off. Look, we complain about the media a lot, and it's very worthwhile doing and very accurate most of the time. I will say this, uh, when the media does do something that's good and important, we should make sure that we flag it and point it out. And I will give that credit to CBS News, who this week uh, highlighted a whistleblower, Gary Sharpley. He's a 14-year veteran of the IRS, and he ex uh, spoke exclusively to CBS News chief investigative correspondent Jim Axelrod. And they didn't undercut him unfairly. They let him tell his story, and it's, it's eye-opening. When I took control of this particular investigation, I immediately saw it, you know, it was way outside the norm of what, what I've uh, experienced in the past. Gary Shapley is a supervisory special agent for the IRS, where he's worked for 14 years. In January 2020, he was assigned to what he calls a high-profile investigation. Who's the subject of the investigation? I can't con confirm or deny the, the subject of this investigation. Why not? Because, you know, part of the tax secrecy laws don't allow it. Shapley can't say it, but CBS News has learned the investigation was the probe of Hunter Biden by the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware. Senior Biden administration officials have vowed to let it run its course without interference. It's not restricted in his investigation in any way. But CBS News has obtained this letter Shapley's lawyers sent to Congress Monday alleging irregularities in DOJ's handling of the investigation. Shapley is seeking legal protections from Congress so he can share specifics of his allegations. There was multiple steps that were, were slow walked at the uh, direction of, of the Department of Justice. Had you ever encountered that before? I have not, no. These deviations from normal process, and, and, and each and every time, it seemed to, to always benefit the subject. Shapley says he decided to blow the whistle after a heated meeting last October with federal prosecutors. It was my red line meeting. It just got to that point where that switch was, uh, was turned on, and I just couldn't silence my conscience anymore. Hmm. I mean, it's really powerful stuff and really important stuff. Uh, we will keep covering this. Hopefully they give him the ability to testify and tell more of the truth on this. Gary Shapley, it's CBS News. We'll make sure we put a link of it up to our, uh, to, on our Twitter feed if you want to watch more of the interview, and we'll give you more details as they come out.
Yes, the fundamental truth is we try to incentivize you to leave us positive reviews on our podcast by reading them on the air. That's what we're doing here. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Illegal aliens, Philadelphia Eagles fans. Stu, please be honest about the reason why you want all the illegal aliens crossing the southern border to be relocated to South Philly. It isn't about the future of Democratic voters. No, no, you're interested in vast new fans of the Philadelphia Eagles. Five stars. Absolutely true. On YouTube, Kim writes, I would love to see a Gen Xer in the White House. Can we stop with all the boomers running the country? I'm probably the only Republican who hasn't decided between Ron and Don. My first choice would be Vivek Ramaswamy. Kelly writes, I didn't even know Stapleton was in the race or who he is. Well, you're not alone there. Uh, get all the merch at StuDoesMerch.com. Code is Stu10. We'll see you tomorrow.